Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Jim, I want to welcome you to Discovered Wordsmiths today. Uh, how are you doing? How's your weather out there? We are cold and snowy. When I got up this morning, I got up about three and it was like, oh, I got 34 degrees. And when I looked out at my phone right now, it's 26 degrees. Mm, and yeah. we're getting snow. And my golden even came running back in saying, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell everybody a little bit about where you're at so they know what we're talking about. It's mid-April as we're talking. Uh, right. I'm in Star, Idaho. I am 15 miles northwest of Boise. We are in, in Treasure Valley in Ada County. And it's, if you're a Republican, you'll love it here. It's a stronghold. If you're a Democrat, you'll probably hate it here because <laughs> it's a Republican stronghold. But it, that doesn't matter to me. I don't. Before we talk about your book, tell us a little bit about yourself, some of the things you like to do, and a little bit about Jim. I am I'm a product of an Air Force family. I grew up in Delmore, California. My father was an instructor at the Air Force Academy. He also was a fighter pilot in Korea during World War II, uh, not World War II, in the Korean War, and a, and a um, uh, patrol bomber pilot in World War II. He, uh, we traveled around a little bit, spent four years in the Philippines, but we always came back to Delmore. That was our home. And uh, I was in the Army for 10 years. I was a grunt for two and a half years in Vietnam. I was a telecopter pilot for four years. I was rifted, which is reduction in force, and I got out in 1977, went to work for my dad after he purchased a paint company. And, but I always had uh, this musicianship in me, and I became a musician part-time. Of course, you never give up your day job like a writer. Never give up <laughs> your day job. So I had abandoned Tacoma, Washington for years called Sundown, and um, we traveled hither and yon, up and down the coast, did uh, all kinds of shows, and we were acoustic vocal group. But uh, for years and years, and, and I wrote most of the music for the, for the band. For a long time, I was a pretty prolific songwriter. But I always had this character running through the back of my head. And I thought, everybody wants to read Zane Gray. And, and I just had a brain fart. What's his name? Anyway, their hero, Louis Lamore. Their heroes are always <laughs> like six foot tall, wide shoulder, narrow hip, square jaw. Never get dirty, never have to go potty. Don't take care of their animals. They're just perfect people. And that's not how they were in the West. I mean, they were ugly. They were short, squat, <laughs> long hair, beards, dirty. It, they had different jobs. And, and I wanted to show that guys in and their 50s could be just as viable as a guy in his 30s. So I started a series called The Hunter. And he's a aging manhunter in Arizona in the 1880s. And uh, that turned into 13 books. Wow. And the book we'll be talking about tonight is a double. It's in two parts. It's called The Return. And it's, uh, it's a supernatural Western. It is... Uh, Which I told you, the supernatural Western, that, that got me. That's my... Well, my, my wife and I are just really love the supernatural. We're like ghost hunters. 
personified. We watch them every week. We do all that stuff. Yeah. But the first half of the book is dedicated. It's called the Dark Angel. And the Dark Angel is a demon that has taken over. He takes over uh, fallen men of the as they lose their pious. Uh, he takes them over, and wow. he's taken over this one reverend in Alabama named T. Oh, what is it? I forget. But uh, anyway, he he, um, he kills a guy, and he runs away from Alabama, and he winds up in Arizona on the Arizona New Mexico border with a gang of brigands and they're rustling cattle. And but he has this place that he goes. That is, it's called the Teatro di Diablo. I don't, I don't know how your Spanish is, but it's the theater of the devil. I, I got that actual, one. I, it's an actual, it's an actual place. It's an actual place in, in 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 Arizona in the Superstition Mountains, and or excuse me, in the Dragoon Mountains. And it's a canyon, but it's you have to ride a ridge line to get into it. And on either side, once you get in, there's it's festooned with, with caves on both sides. And this guy has taken over one of these caves. That's his lair. And he had built an altar in there. And he goes in and he self-flagellates. He, he beats himself to honor his master. And it's, just, it's, it's wild. It's just wild. He can take over. He just look at you and mesmerizes you. Um, nice. But he eventually is killed by the hunter's um, protege, Jeff Stryker. And as he is dying, the, the black swirl comes up from him and the demon leaves. T. Joshua Vellman is it. And he looks up at Stryker and he's dying on the ground and the demon now has left him. And he looks at Stryker and he goes, why? Why did you kill me? But he had no idea that this guy was in him. He had no idea he was even in Arizona. He comes back. And the second part of the book is called The Return. He is now okay. three times as deadly as he was before. He's taken over another minister. This time he's he's able to shapeshift. And he he turns himself into a raven. And it's a huge raven, like with a six-foot wingspan, bright, bright yellow eyes. He, that's how he finds his prey. His only deal is he can't read the um, righteous. He can't find the righteous. He can find everyone else. But if you're a righteous man, he can't see you. Which is, it goes along with the demon thing. And um, it's a wild book. It takes place in Louisiana, in Cajun country, up in uh, a parish right above New Orleans. And uh, he's trying to take over. It was the largest parish in New Orleans, in Louisiana at the time, Landry Parish. And he was trying to take over the entire parish for himself and his band of brigands, which he now has a bunch of pirates with. And the, one of the protagonists is uh, named Lucian Ledoux. And Lucian is the cousin of one of the people that works for the hunter at his ranch in Arizona. So that's how the hunter and Jeff Stryker wind up in a P-Row, guiding through the swamps in this little tiny-ass boat. <laughs> and these are big guys, and they're in this little P-Row, which is nothing more than a dugout, and floating through the swamps in Arizona, or in uh, Louisiana. And uh, it's a fascinating book. I, my, my wife is the one who came up with the second half of it. And... Uh, we, it, it's been selling very well. This is a reissue, and I'm so glad we did because it's a great book. So there you have it. Okay. Nice. So did you always plan on writing a long series, or did it just start growing as you were writing? It just kept going. 
it just kept going, and it, it and each book came its own standalone with references back to the stories before. If you want to do it that way, you don't have to read okay. the stories before. The two books that came after the return, actually three, were one called Jonah Blue about a ten-year-old boy who wants all the world to be a mountain man. It takes place. It starts in Canton, Ohio, actually in 1830, and hey. and his father's. His father's name is Blue, B-L-E-U, and his father drives his wife to, to commit suicide, and Jonah's brother and his sister are down committing incest Ooh. at this pond, and Jonah finds his mother hanging in the barn, and he takes off. His father tells him to go do this, and he says, no, I'm done. So he runs and he grabs his only possessions, which is like three pennies and his hat that a Greek sailor gave him. And he takes off and he winds up on the Mississippi River on a riverboat in a rope blocker. And from there, he jumps overboard because he's found. And uh, he's hanging onto a cleat because the old riverboats, the decks used to extend over the actual boat part. And he's hanging onto a cleat on the side of this boat. Until he finally sees this area shallow enough where he can let go and swim ashore. And he gets up out of the water and he's crawling up on the bank. And this voice comes out of nowhere and says, I've seen what you've done. That took some sand, boy. And it happens to be a mountain man named Rinsville Doggett. Hooks out to Jonah and takes Jonah up into the mountains and teaches him the ways of the mountain man. But he changes his name. He says, what's your name? He goes, Jonah, not blue, but blue. So that's where this name Jonah Blue came from. And then. There's three separate adventures he takes place with Jonah in the book, and uh, it ends and starts in 1830 and ends in 1853. Sorry, go ahead. But, uh, and then the one after that is uh, Jefferson. We won't get into Jefferson. Okay. It's a, the so damn good is, story, but go ahead. This this is a a series, but they're loosely based together. It's not necessarily the same characters. They're just well, the, similar. The, two, the last two are. Not even related to the Hunter series. The last two okay, are all okay. totally standalone. As a matter okay, of fact, okay. Jonah Blue, I dreamt it was a dream. And I've never remembered my dreams, but this particular one I did from start to finish, my dream told the whole story. All I had to do is write it down. It's easy. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't get too many dreams I remember myself either. So that's yes. nice. I know a lot of people say, write them all down. I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't either normally, but I did this time. So what made you choose? I know you said you're in the supernatural and stuff. So that was your interest. What made you choose to write a supernatural Western and that whole type of genre? Well, the Western genre, I've always, I was a kid growing up in, I was born in 49. So like a kid growing up in the 50s, we had you know, all of those great Westerns. The Roy Rogers showed. Gene Autry, The Rifleman, Lone, The Lone Ranger, and and then all the great Warner Brother Westerns that were on in the 50s. One of my favorites was Maverick, and yep. one of, and that was one of my favorites because the co-host, the co-lead of that, Jack Kelly, was my next-door neighbor in Del Mar. Nice. And a good friend of my family, and he and my dad used to get drunk on beer on Saturday nights and watch Maverick. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up watching a lot of those with my father. In fact, he still watches the same Western. Oh, yeah, Western on channel. the Western Channel. They're on every day. Yeah. So I, 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 and then when I went to college, I, I finished college when I was in the military. 
and I did my senior thesis on uh, Western expansion, 1840-1890. So I got to go to Arizona, and I got to dig around in Arizona a little bit. I really learned to love the state. I, I love Arizona. I don't particularly love the prickly, bitey things. The state itself is cool. And a lot of places that I went are in my books. And then I just I learned a lot about cowboys and a lot about horses. I owned horses for years. So I, I knew about horses, and I knew that Zane Gray and Louis L'Amour didn't write horses correctly. So I started making sure that everything around the horse, especially in the Westerns, were taken care of correctly. When the cowboys, get, they get off their horses. They take care of them first before they get water, before they get food. The horse gets water. The horse gets And I learned that if you were on the road for more than a day, you had a pack animal with you. And if you were going to be out for a long time, you had water bladders with you. Uh, right. You never know when you're going to run into water or not. So there's a lot of things that we get right in my books, at least I feel. Um, most people that read them do as well. So what other books out there would you say are similar to yours for people that are interested? I would say Dale Jackson's books, All the Pretty Horses, or They Ride, they ride Pretty Horses, is one uh, that takes place in the, in the Old West. Johnny D. Boggs has got his very first novel about a trail drive. It's great. There's a couple writers that write fiction westerns as, as well as I do. I think if, as far as, this is me talking, I, I think as far as western writers go, I'm probably one of the better ones out there. There you go. I'll, I will make sure and people know that. That's great. There you go. <laughs> I, I, it's been, been a while since I read any Western. A supernatural Western sounds like something I could get into, definitely. It's a long book. It's uh, almost 400 pages, but it's a, it reads fast. Cool. And you're an independent, independently published? No, we actually have a company. It's, I started Black Dog Publishing with my first book. And then I, I merged with Richard Paulinelli and Tuscany Bay Books seven years ago. And we now are co-owners of Black Dog Publishing slash Tuscany Bay Books, which is our imprint. We have uh, 15 writers now working for us as writers. We, we publish 15 writers. We're just picking up five more. Nice. Five more. Mickey is our um, in-house publicist. We, have, we do everything from science fiction slash fantasy we don't do pure fantasy but we'll do it if it's mixed in with science fiction children's books young adult supernatural we'll do westerns mysteries most of the genres i don't want to do romance please don't make me please don't make me other than that we have quite a, a stable of writers now nice yeah what, what about a uh, western supernatural romance actually you know what there is one I just finished reading. It's called The Lives of Diamond Bessie. And we're interviewing her tomorrow night on my show. Nice. And we're going to talk about that for the second half for everybody listening. So stay tuned yeah. for that. <laughs> that little preview there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what type of feedback do you get from readers on your books? I get fairly good reviews. Uh, the only bad review I ever got was my, my, one, uh, my first book. And he goes, he says it was an okay story, not worth nineteen ninety nine. And then he said, "I was gifted this book, gifted this book. <laughs> it's an okay story, but not worth nineteen ninety nine." And I almost wrote back and said, "Well, you didn't buy it. You 
bonehead. Yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, if people is gift, they're gifted a book for review. They put less value in it than if they actually. I think so. I think, you know what? I think money. you're absolutely right. I do. I, I just reviewed one for Paris Afton Bonds, her latest Reluctant Rebel, and what a great story! It's about the oh god, it was something. Oh, anyway, about the delousing and stuff in Mexico, Juarez in 1908. There was a big fight that went on for three days about the delousing. They were using kerosene and stuff. Oh. So it's a true story, but. She sent me a copy and she says, Would you mind reviewing it for me? I said, No, not at all. So, great story. Nice. But I, I think you're right. I think when you're gifted a book to read, I, I don't think you put as much into it as, as you should. Yeah. Yeah. I know there was a, a few authors I've discovered picked up a book because it was like a free or a 99 cent sale or you know, something like that. And it's like, Oh, I love these guys. And bam, I just hit buy. It's like, don't even look at the price because it's worth the value. I look at people that say, oh, this isn't worth the money, and yet they'll spend $60 to go to a two-hour music concert or oh, $100 to get seats behind a home plate at a game that lasts two hours, yet a book that will take them three or four hours of reading for eight, nine, ten dollars they think it's too much. I don't understand uh, that. I'm a firm believer in that writers should never review a book. I, I can understand that. I just don't think writers should review them because you have your own ideas. The writer may be writing a book that's not the way you would do it. So that becomes a point of contention. And then yes. you start picking up on everything in the book instead of follow, instead of reading it for the story. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely, I, I agree. I haven't asked other writers to review my books and I'm not leaving comments and reviews. It, it, somehow it'll come back to bite you. I'm sure. Uh, I, I think it always does come back to bite you. Yeah. So I'm going to guess, my next question is, would you rather see your book as a movie or a TV show? I'm going to guess with 13 books, a TV show would be ideal. But could you tell us why you think it'd make a good TV show? And if there's any book you think would make a better movie? I think Jefferson's Chance would make the better movie. It's a solid story, start to finish. It's got great characters in it. It's got a great plot line in it. And it, it makes you cry about three quarters of the way through the book. <laughs> there you As a go. matter of fact, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And my wife is not listening to this, but I, my ex-wife, I, she bought Jefferson's Chance. She never read anything that I had ever written, and she bought Jefferson's Chance on a whim because she saw I had it, and she did a review and she says, "I've never read a Western book. I've never read one of Jim's books, but I started crying halfway through it, and I couldn't stop until I finished the book, and I will read all of them now." Wow, and that's from an ex. That's pretty good. That's from an ex one. But I, I, I think Jefferson's Chance would make the better movie. Jonah Blue would make the better short series because it's in definitely three distinct parts. And the rest of the Hunter series, I think, would make a great series. Maybe a limited, you know, 10-book Netflix or something. Yeah, nice. Okay. So for you mentioned some things growing up. What are some of your favorite books and authors? Oh my gosh. One of my very favorite authors in the world is John Sanford. He writes the prey novels. I'm sure you are yep. aware of what they are and, and yeah. Davenport, that whole group of guys. Virgil Flowers et yeah. al. John Sanford actually was on our show. And yeah, and what a wonderful guy. But his books I just love reading because they read so fast. And his stories are always really cool. And he's got really great characters in them. So I love 
Oh, the guy who writes Longmire. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It'll come, it'll come to me at three a.m. I'll call you at three a.m. when it comes to me. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, he's been on my show like four times. Nice. And and he's just a great guy. But I love the Longmire stories, and I love the TV show. But the stories are inherently different than the TV show. I like uh, Johnny D. Boggs is a great writer. J.R. Sanders, up and coming wonderful writer of true crime and fiction. Uh, a lot of writers that a lot of people have never heard of, but write just wonderful stories. Yeah, I was looking it up real quick. Novels by Craig Johnson. Craig Johnson. Yep. So, you gotta love... Craig, Craig lives in a little town in Wyoming that has 25 people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, he, he was telling us a story of how he wound up there. It's pretty cute. So how, but, uh, how many cattle do they have? Oh, he doesn't have any. See, I always hear we've only got a hundred people, but we've got like ten thousand cattle in town. He's got. He said he's got uh, one hundred fifty or two hundred fifty acres. He doesn't have a head of cattle. He's got some horses, but he just doesn't. You know, he doesn't deal with the cattle too much. All right. So, uh, where you live out there in Idaho? Do you have a favorite bookstore? There isn't one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have one. In our local little town, but I know there's a couple close by. I like to go to. Yeah, there, there's. I think there's one in Boise, uh, but it's a used bookstore. You know, they closed all the borders and they closed Barnes and Nobles. And right, right. So border bookstores are gone. So, Jim, tell us where we can find your book, and if you have a website, uh, tell us that and any other spots to get a hold of you. I. You can find my books on Amazon. You can find them on any online bookseller. Goodreads, all of them. You can find them there. I have a website, jimchristina.net. You can go also find my books at tuscanybaybooks.com. On Facebook, you can find me at jimchristina. Email is jimchristina at yahoo.com. Oh, now we're going to get tons of email for you now. <laughs> People well, wanting to talk about their books. So before we move on to some author stuff, Jim, tell everybody listening. If you're in an elevator, why they should get your books and read your books? Because they're re they're true to they're true to life. I, I think that once you get into one of my books, you start realizing that the dialogue is true to life, the stories are true to life, the things that happen in these books could have happened or did happen at one time or another, and I think it is, it gives you a little bit of education that you may not have had. It opens your eyes to things that you never got watching TV Western. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, wrong. In, just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, great. I appreciate that. Thanks for talking about your books. I can't wait to uh, see more about them. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.